shortly. Darnell Nurse from the Edmonton Oilers. He's at the BioSteel camp. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, we should go through the uh, PGA Tour results. And uh, Bryson DeChambeau won the uh, Northern Trust as the FedEx Cup playoffs start. Great news for Canada in that uh, Adam Hadwin finished at 10 under, and he was in a T11 position. Tiger Woods uh, way down the list with a minus one on his final round and finished at uh, minus four for the tournament, tied in 40th with a host of others. And Mark Sacchino from Golf Talk Canada and PGA Tour Radio was on the scene. Uh, he'll be with us in the next segment. And he pulled uh, Tiger aside at the end of it and asked him if an equipment change helped straighten out the driver. I uh, went to an, an old familiar shaft that I used to use you know, years ago, and uh, we added a little bit more loft to the driver. Um, yeah, I drove a, you know, a lot better this week. But at the end of the day, it's more important to make putts. Um, I didn't make any putts this week. and. No matter how good I hit it, you know, making only 10 birdies is not going to get the job done. That being said, though, from our perspective, the ball was looked like it was on line a lot. There was a lot of lip outs. There was a lot of speed issues. It's not like you weren't picking your spot. So how challenging is it to, hey, I'm going to get better with the putter next week when you know there's not much, you know, you well, can change? The first three days were, were not not what I was. I certainly I put it better. Uh, but today was was great. You know, I. Well, I had five lip outs today, so th- there you go. You know, those those go in the round totally changes and flips, and I shoot something in the low 60s. And so it's just today I felt great, you know, from tee degree, and I felt great over the, over the putter. Um, they just didn't go in. Um, you know, I, I can accept days like today, but for the first three days, uh, you know, wasn't very good. Tiger Woods, so we'll deal with that with uh, Mark Sacchino from Golf Talk Canada and PGA Tour, PGA Tour Radio. Yes, Guy, at 1220. Uh, Darnell uh, very shortly. I just want to go over that, that story that Tristan had in the update. Um, Henrik Zetterberg likely not to play for Detroit this season. Back problems. Uh, it's been rumored all summer and, and close to confirmation on that, uh, including this year has three years left on his contract. Uh, I would suggest to you that probably you won't see him play in the NHL again. I mean, I don't think that situation's going to go away. That's one of those uh, long-term uh, injury replacement uh, issues that gives cap relief, and probably the Red Wings captain, I'm not going to say is done, but it's not looking good. So uh, that's an interesting developing story there uh, for a Leaf divisional rival that is uh, heading south, and the Leafs and Red Wings basically have switched spots over a number of years, and it's interesting to watch the transition downward in Detroit as well as the one upward uh, here in Toronto. Uh, and by the way, we talked earlier about Brooke Henderson. I, I don't want to ignore that story since we're talking about PGA Tour golf, but uh, bottom line is uh, congratulations to Brooke and her support staff, her family, and uh, it's been a tough year for them, but boy, what a way to celebrate uh, with that win yesterday. Uh, also snapping that, uh, what, 45-year drought for a Canadian professional golfer to win on Canadian soil. Uh, Jocelyn Borisaw was the last Canadian to win in 73. Actually, not the last, but the, the only only other LPGA winner. She won in 73 in Montreal. The last Canadian was Mike Weir, 1999 at the uh, Air Canada and that was his first ever PGA Tour win. So, uh, you know, it, it's obviously been detailed that in tennis and in golf, we've had great individual athletes. The success hasn't been there. Maybe this is the start of a new chapter in that vein. And of course, uh, from Mike Weir, you have to go way back to 1954 and uh, Mr. Fletcher winning the what was then called the Canadian Open, which is now the RBC Canadian Open. Um, uh, so let's uh, let's move along now and uh, and bring in Darnell Nurse, who is with us now from the BioSteel Camp. Darnell, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very good, thanks. So, I mean, back on the ice with everybody, how does that feel? 
Oh, it feels great. Uh, obviously, we've been, we've been training here pretty hard all summer, but uh, you know, to be able to have camp out here and have a few guys from out of town, it's, uh, it's always the, probably the best uh, week of the summer. Uh, the great thing about hockey is is that uh, you, you see it in the in the handshake line at the elimination uh, at the end of a playoff series. I mean, it's always about you know this is over with. We've dealt with it. We move on. Um, you have to sort of do that with the Oilers. That was a disappointing season, but but you would not dwell on what didn't happen. You're looking forward, correct? Yeah, it's uh, obviously um, when we think about it, it, should leave a bad taste in your mouth. But uh, you know, at this point, there's a, there's a new season coming, and, and camp starts in a couple of weeks. So. Uh, the main focus is, you know, what can we do to, to make this season a memorable one? Uh, when you look at your uh, brief NHL career, what into season five full time now, or I guess season four, how have you changed over the years? What have you learned? Oh, just continue to evolve. I think, um, you know, for me, I've, I've always had a, you know, a, a strong, uh, a strong passion to be a good defender and be able to play against some of the top players and. You now, with that said, you know, at this level, I feel like I can contribute a little more um, offensively, and that's kind of what I've been uh, kind of working on. Just to, you know, you see the impact defensive nowadays. Um, you know, they're able to, to contribute on both ends of the ice, and they're elite at both ends of the ice. So that's uh, that's my goal, and you know, I just continue to work to, to get to that point where I'm considered like that. I mean, that, that's an interesting topic about how defensemen have changed. I mean, even when you go back to your days uh, with the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds, you would have seen the evolution of the defensemen. How did you embrace that? How, how did you deal with that? I think you know. For me, it's uh, it's exciting. Obviously, I've I've, uh, I've always been very athletic and had the ability to. My you know, skating's always been good, and, and and have the ability to play a physical game. So, um, you know, having uh, having to be able to play at both ends of the ice is not only a good challenge, but something that's uh, you know for me it, it's kind of exciting. And uh, like I said, I just continue to work and and, and put in the long uh, long hours and long days in the gym to to be able to uh, you know be an impact defensively tonight. As a kid, who did you watch as an NHL player, and, and who did you pattern your game after anybody? I watched a lot of guys. I think Chris Pronger was uh, you know, one of my favorites growing up. Um, you know, I was, uh, when I first started watching hockey, uh, that was when Scott Stevens was uh, with uh, the Devils and when they won the Cup. That was uh, so that they were always uh, some of that some of that watch. Um, even you know, I'd watch offensive guys. My first ever my favorite player ever was uh, Matt Sundin. I used to wear. Uh, Number thirteen when I first started playing hockey, and, and Jerome McGinley. Those are two guys. So I've always had uh, I've always had passion for both sides, both sides, not only defensively but also offensively. And it's kind of uh, you know probably when I started to get older, uh, Chris Farmer was a guy that I watched a little more, um, and then uh, you, know, you know more of the offensive guys. Obviously, he he, he was one of those defensemen that made impact on both at both ends of the ice. But uh, as I got older, you know those offensive guys start to, to come to the league like Dowdy, and um, so you, you get to watch them too. As a young kid, I mean, how did how did you get into hockey? What what led you into hockey, and, and did you play other sports? Uh, yeah, I was I played lacrosse in the summers. Uh, that was that was where I started. I tried to play basketball, but I didn't have to, I didn't get that gene. I guess uh, I tried to play football. My dad wouldn't let me. Didn't want me to get hurt. So uh, hockey was kind of a thing. I started to, to skate when I was younger, and I never wanted to get off the ice. And then we would get uh, you know, a few of my buddies to play pond hockey. Uh, you know, we were in a newer development, so. One of uh, one of the foundations was filling with water, and you skate on top of it. We played uh, we played hockey, so um, yeah, it was, it was always just a I was just a passion. I always wanted to be on the ice, and um, you know, it's uh, something that I'm, I'm grateful my dad and mom got me into early. I mean, you, you talked about the basketball gene that went elsewhere in your family. I mean, you yeah. have you've got a I mean, father, sister, couple of cousins, uncle. I mean, this is this is a competitive family, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah. So you always have to bring something to the table. Uh, it's funny. Uh, we have these, they sit down at Christmas time or, um, you know, whenever everyone gets back at the end of summer. Uh, I, I actually, this year, I kind of thought this for the first time. But you sit up listening to these stories. Like, you hear people talk about their Olympic experiences and hear about people uh, playing professional sports. It's probably not not that common to have all these uh, all these people at the dinner table sharing stories with you. And, and uh, it's kind of the first time I, I I came to came to the realization. It's a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun when you get to hear these stories and you get to uh, share share people's moments. But at the same time, you got to bring something to the table where everyone's all over you. I think the great thing about having that many athletes in your family at uh, different generations would be that at least they would understand what you're going through, and they, they must be pretty helpful. Oh, it's very helpful. Everyone, no matter what you're going through, whether you're having, uh, you know, you're going through a little bit of a dry spell or, um, you know, you're uh, having a lot of success. Everyone's, everyone's been through it, uh, moving away from home. I think that's the best part is everyone that's, uh, everyone within our family, when you talk about sports, you just, Obviously, the sports are different. Basketball, football, everyone plays a different sport. But you know, the, the experiences of moving away from home or having to be a professional those those don't change from sport to sport. So uh, the lifestyle is, is definitely something that we can pick up from each other. And you know, my sister moved away for the first time to play professionally in, in New York, and I was someone that you know I just went through that three years ago. So it's, it's you always bounce you always bounce things off each other. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, aside from the actual uh, competitive uh, discussion, you're going to be able to help each other in terms of what happens when you're, you know, when you're in a slump or when you have to find living accommodations or all that yeah. stuff that happens outside the rink, right? Exactly, exactly. Those are uh, those those are probably the toughest questions. You always answer, you always answer the questions on the court or on the ice, but uh, it's the questions away from it that uh, you know you always go to someone for help, and it's, it's wild, very useful. Uh, when you watch, you're on the bench. You see Connor McDavid on the ice. That that's got to be a stunning view. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, he's, he's one of those guys. You know, obviously played with him. This will be our fourth year playing together. So you kind of take him for granted some days. You know, some of the stuff that he's doing on the ice. Uh, it's uh, obviously it's a treat for treat for fans to see and, and a nightmare for guys to play against. But uh, to be on this team, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be around. And this guy, one of the few players that would get the puck and accelerate. Most people would would slow down or or at least keep the same speed. But he actually gears up, doesn't he? Yeah, he gets. Uh, yeah, he finds another gear when he has a puck, and it's scary, uh, especially when you have to defend him. Uh, when you look at the Oilers now, obviously before camp, but what are your expectations this year? I know it's early for that question, but but you have to be totally positive. Yeah, I think everyone's hungry to to come out here and. and uh, you know, get this get the season started off on the right foot. Obviously, we went to last time with so many expectations, and um, you know it's, it's important for us to just have that hunger and come out. Uh, on it, kind of with the attitude that we had two years ago, we had to prove a lot of people wrong. But in this BioSteel camp you're in, I mean, it, it's got uh, pretty well everything looked after. Uh, that sounds impressive. Yeah, it's you know on, on ice uh, in the room, fitness. That's taking care of. We got nutrition, we got food, and then protein shakes, everything you need. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a camp that. You know, very lucky, very fortunate to be a part of, and very fortunate to be a part of this gym. Actually, you know, to be able to work out with Matt Nickel and and uh, you know their trainers in here, they they get us all ready for the season, and you know not only make us better on and off the ice, but also as people, and, and just uh, you know bring me a bring a great attitude to the gym every day. Darnell, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Thanks for having me on. That's Darnell Nurse, Edmonton Oilers defenseman. So just to go over his family, uh, his father played in the CFL. His uncle is Donovan McNabb. His sister is Kia, who is a professional basketball player. His cousin is Sarah, who played on the women's uh, national hockey team. His other cousin is Isaac, who is a developing player with the Hamilton Bulldogs of the OHL.
So you could imagine, you know, in a family get-together, and I don't know how close they are, but, I mean, uh, everybody's a phone call away in this world. And, and so, you, you know, if you have some sort of a, a stutter in terms of what you're doing, uh, there's plenty of people to rely on there. And, and whether you're, you need the device or advice and, and you could give it, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really strong background to rely on. Not everybody gets that, that's for sure. Coming up next, Mark Sacchino, host of Golf Talk Canada and PGA Tour Radio. And we're going to close off the broadcast at 1240 with the highly anticipated, and I have to say original and authentic, Weekend Yes Guy, No Guy. I don't think I've ever played the Weekend Yes Guy, No Guy. What does that mean, Joe? What is that Weekend? What does that mean? So our Yes Guy, No Guy's topic is based on things that have happened on the last weekend. So okay, and you, and you actually general. you actually do yes guy no guy the, the proper way. You ask me the questions. Yes, and if you ask me feed. one, that's just like that's you know gravy. That's that's yeah. A this cherry is, on this top. is the way the game was supposed to be played. Other people have mangled it. No, no, it's yes guy no guy only works one way. The, Thank you. The man who originated it is allowed to say yes guy no guy. The person that you let. Do it with you, asks the questions. Thank you very much. By the way, Joe is one of my students at Centennial years ago, and I think next time I come in here, I'm going to bring in my mark book and, and rhyme off what you got. I know it was top of the class. It had to be. <laughs> oh, maybe not. I guess that was a no guy. <laughs> I know that you didn't duck out in any classes, which is you know not always said. Well, no, you stood at the door, so you would watch me as I walked in, so you made sure I got in there, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I make sure things happen. Okay, coming up next, Mark Sacchino. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Mark Sacchino, Golf Talk Canada, PGA Tour Radio, the Twitter account at Z-Man, TSN GTC. And he'll be with us after Joe. You know, this is what kills me about producers, right? You're coming into a segment, and the producer has to have the lifelong discussion with the next guest. Wonderful. I just love this stuff. And apparently it's, it's a detailed conversation because there's a little thing in the... It's, it's, a, it's a computer screen that the producer hides behind when they don't want to have eye contact. But nonetheless, Mark Sacchino is here. Marco, how are you? I'm good, James. Just uh, closing up a long week at the Northern Trust, but a good week, and... Uh, it was weird because, you know, I love being on the ground for PGA Tour Radio and being inside the ropes, and I got to follow Tiger, and it was like a lot of great, but at the same time, I was watching my phone all week trying to figure out if Brooke was going to win and, yeah. and get this done, so I was torn because, uh, you know, what a, what a great moment for Canadian golf, and she deserves it, and, you know, able to get something done that, you know, the men have not been able to do uh, in, uh, you know, since the 50s, and, and this time since the early 70s on the ladies' side. So it was a great week for golf, really, overall. Yeah, I, I just love the Brooke Henderson story, just because, you know, it's been developing over a couple of years, I guess three years now, three seasons. And you're, I mean, she's 20, and you look at this and you go, as great as the moment was, and I take nothing away from the moment because it was a fantastic national moment, but you couldn't help watch it and, and come up with the thought of, wow, where does this go? Because this is, I mean, literally, this is just the start. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think the great thing about it from my perspective too, Jim, is that, you know, quite often in the game of golf uh, north of the border, you know, we kind of point to, oh, this is coming. Like on the men's game, oh, we got seven, eight guys on the PGA Tour. We've got a bunch of wins coming. But then it doesn't happen. 
well, we've got a great young talent, you know, who's you know win, wins a bunch of amateur titles and whatnot. Oh, we've got oh this guy's coming. This is this is the next Mike Weir. You know, we have it, and it just hasn't come to fruition. And with Brooke, she's been carrying that mantle now for you know four years or so. And you know, the, you know, we've been pointing to all these great things that are coming, and then they do come, and she has fulfilled. Uh, you know, expectations and now has added something else. And I think you're right. This is just going to continue to grow. She's going to continue to uh, be one of the best players in the world and win major championships. And um, It's nice to see uh, a, a Canadian hopeful in the game of golf actually fulfill um, uh, the expectations. And, and, you know, she's got a lot on her shoulders for a, a young kid, but, you know, she seems to handle it great. And, uh, you know, last week you know, I was talking a lot. And I was, you know, on Saturday morning with uh, Golf Talk Canada. I said, you know, I, I, I don't think about her the same way. I don't think, uh, you know, the men seem to carry it as, as a big weight, and they seem to carry it as this huge anchor every year at the Canadian Open, and it's almost too much for them. Whereas with Brooke, it, it almost seems like uh, she looks at it different. She looks at it as, as an opportunity. Uh, not not an anchor. She's like, yeah, like she almost wants the ball. Like you know, like like to use that Michael Jack, uh, Michael Jordan, or LeBron yeah. James. They they want the ball with the, with zero seconds left on the clock. And that's what I get from this. Well, yeah, and again, not to be negative, but maybe it's the ghost of Mike Weir that that uh, because because he did succeed at he won the Masters, he won repeatedly on the PGA Tour. That that they're trying to live up to to Mike's past as opposed to you know sort of coloring a new canvas. You know, I actually never thought of it that way. Brooke has a clear path that, uh, you know, now, on, you know, obviously Sandra Post had a brilliant career. Right. And Lori Kane had a great career, but that is generations before Brooke, whereas the men, you're right, they're pointing to, to Mike, which is recent times, modern history, and, and maybe that's the difference. Well, and, and he would have inspired them to play. I mean, I, I think if you went through those, all those Canadian golfers, they would say watching Mike Weir win the Masters was motivation to start this. For sure. For sure. He, he's the one that kind of put a club in their hand and, and, and got them all out there. And it's going to be interesting to see 10 years from now. 10 years from now, we're going to get the Brook effect, the way we got the Mike Weir effect. And we're going to see a bunch of great Canadian ladies players that are all of a sudden showing up on the LPGA Tour. And it's going to be interesting to see how they react to the Brooke Henderson legacy that they'll have to chase, similar to how Adam Hadwin, David Hearn, Graham Dillette, uh, Mackenzie Hughes, etc., are chasing uh, the Mike Weir hangover, so to speak. So we're about 10 years away from that. And, you know, that's going to be, you know, everybody's going to talk to, to uh, now saying, you know, oh, is this going to spike the game of golf in Canada in terms of participation in the female game? Are a bunch of young girls going to pick up the club now because Brooke is doing what she's doing? And, you know, my gut reaction is, sure, there's going to be a lot of kids that are interested now in playing golf that might wouldn't have been before. But we won't truly know the Brook effect until 10 years down the line, just like we did with Mike Weary. He wins a green jacket in 03, and it wasn't until around 2012, 2013, 2014 when we saw the actual Mike Weir effect take place on the PGA Tour. And I think, you know, the same is going to be said for the LPGA. I'm just wondering, I want to use the right words, but I'm just wondering if, if what Brooke Henderson is about to do will influence Everybody. In other words, not just uh, women's golf, girls' golf, ladies' golf, uh, but everybody. I mean, even even a, a, like a, a 15-year-old guy's watching this and go, I would love to do that. I mean, why, why couldn't it inspire everybody? 
Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know, Jim. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, obviously, Brooke has more traction in this country than anything we've ever seen from the female game. But at the end of the day, I don't know if a young... Like, I, I would be very interested... I'll put it this way. I'd be shocked, and this is no disrespect to Brooke, and maybe this is completely wrong, but I bet you there were still more young teenage boys and 20-something men in this country watching Tiger and more concerned with what Tiger was doing this week at the Northern Trust than they were with Brooke Henderson. And maybe on a Sunday when they had a, when she actually had a chance to win, they got engaged and went, oh, this is history. I better watch this. But overall, uh, I bet you that, uh, that, that the Tiger and what was happening in New York was still moving the needle a lot more for males under 30 than Brooke was. It would be interesting to track that, and I and I would just suggest to you that because of because of who Brooke is, that that maybe there's a a, a really young guy out there watching. I'm going to say t- somewhere in the ten to thirteen year age group that would look at that and go, "Wow, this is inspirational to me." It's, it's just so that it's, it comes out of the category it's in, because I think we're a little tired of the categories. It, it, it can only influence certain people. I, I don't I don't buy that. I I think literally when you're talking Tiger Woods or any of the great athletes, I think that was inspirational to everybody who watched it. Well, I hope you're right. You know, I, I do. Uh, I, I hope you're right, and I agree with you. Um, it's just been it's been a hard it's been a hard go. Yeah. Uh, you know, the LPGA is going to be the first people to tell you this. I'll tell you who's happier, uh, who would be more happier than anybody to have Brooke Henderson be the influencer that you're suggesting that she is and should be. Uh, is the LPGA Tour. They would like nothing more than Brooke Henderson to be the number one player in the world because from an LPGA Tour standpoint, could you find somebody more marketable than Brooke Henderson to to slap your brand to? They have a real issue on the LPGA Tour, and it's no disrespect to the great players of the game because they are brilliant, those ladies on the LPGA Tour. But it's very hard to market some of those personalities to a North American audience. They just don't engage. And this is a bigger problem south of the border. And you know as well as I do, you got to lead from the top. And the money and the corporate money and the real TV money is in the U.S. It's not in Canada. So they need, they need the U.S. on board on that LPGA Tour. And right now, they're not getting it. And, and the U.S. loves Brooke Henderson. They, they are they would they would hitch their wagon. They don't care she's Canadian. She, regardless of how Canadian she is, she looks like the all-American girl next door, and they're good with that. And I tell you right now, the LPGA would be thrilled if Brooke Henderson a year from now was a multiple uh, major winner and the number one player in the world because you you want to see the LPGA marketing machine kick into high gear, you'd see it if Brooke Henderson got to that position. Okay, let's go to the the Northern Trust, which is the the event that you did for PGA Tour Radio on the weekend. And the first thing I want to ask you is when you're interviewing Tiger Woods and talking about his driver shaft, I would be curious to know what the look on his face was. (laughs) (laughs) Someone brought that up after the interview, and I started laughing because I wasn't even thinking about it. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of of talk about him looking for a a driver setup, and and he's been experimenting with shafts, and just, you know, his driving's been horrible this year. And, you know, obviously I've, I've spoken to the people at TaylorMade and they've told me that he's just been exhausting every, uh, you know, all their driving driver technology here to see if he can get comfortable. And then this week, sure enough, he goes out and he drives the ball extremely well.
well, you know, especially on Sunday. But, you know, he averaged, uh, you know, he hit 9 of 14 fairways. Not that that is, you know, record-breaking pace, but he hit 9 of 14 fairways every day. And then on the final day, I think you know, he only missed one or two fairways on the final day. He was like 12 of 14. So in Tigerland, those numbers are huge. So... Uh, sure enough, though, the week he finds his driver, the putter goes cold. Like he, he, it was just, just couldn't make a thing. To me, it looked like he was rolling the putter really well, but he was frustrated. Nothing was going in. And isn't that the game of golf, Jim? When, when something, you find something, something else disappears. Um, Adam Hadwin had a really good weekend, didn't he? Yeah, great performance from Adam. I had a, a couple opportunities to talk to Adam. Uh, his spirits were up big time because uh, he's been sore. He's had some injury issues. He's been exhausted. He's felt like it's a really long year. And he, you know, hasn't had a top ten in quite some time. So that was the first top ten he's had. And you know, back, you have to go back to March, end of February, March for his last top ten. And, He's been working so hard and getting no results at anything. It's just like anything else in the world. When you put time and effort in, you know, you need to see some results to keep the motivation going and to keep the spirits up. And, and he's had none. And then all of a sudden this week, you know, the, the, he started to make some putts. He started to see some results and good top ten finish. And it's important because this is, you know, uh, you know, for a guy like Adam Hadwin who, you know, is not, you know, in this country, he's a big star. But on a global scale, you know, he's not making, you know, $50 million a year in endorsement dollars out of Hadwin. This is a huge time of year for bonus money and cash money you know, to keep the season going and to keep moving up the FedEx Cup points list to try to get to the Tour Championship. You know, it's just a boatload of bonus money these guys are playing for, and it opens up a lot of other avenues for them. So this is, this is a good, strong finish for Adam. He, it's, I'm glad he played well, and it looks like uh, looks like he's going to be a solid fixture in the next couple of weeks. Sorry to jump around. I want to go back to Tiger just because we played the clip that you had with him at the top of the hour. Uh, you know when he's talking about the, the shaft and and his assessment of his weekend, and, and you know he really liked yesterday. Things just didn't drop for him. When you watched him play on the weekend, what was your what, what was your take on what you saw? Just because I think the expectations were high based on what he did the week before. He looks a little tired to me. Uh, there's a lot of golf coming up. Uh, you know, he's got a he's going to play what five six weeks in a row if you include the Ryder Cup at the end of the month. So, you know, it's a lot of golf. So I'm hoping his energy levels can stay there because he looked drained. Even when I was talking to him, he looked he looked drained. Um, a lot of that could be mental, though, as well, Jim. You know, when when you when you can't make pots, the game is just a, is just mm. miserable. It's just and it's draining. It's mentally and emotionally draining. So, um, I think if you know if he had a, had just one day where the putts were falling, I think you know maybe his attitude would would be different. But I, I think Tiger is pleased that he's found uh, maybe maybe he's finally found a driver setup that he could feel comfortable with co- comfortable with. But I think he's extremely frustrated with the putting right now, which is weird because he putted beautifully back at the PGA Championship and putted well at the British Open as well. But uh, you know what? I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, when we got to Boston on Friday, now keep in mind it's a Friday start because of the Labor Day finish at TPC Boston, it would not surprise me if we saw the old putter back in the bag. You know, I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything. Uh, Tiger didn't hint to it to me on mic or off mic. Uh, it's just a hunch I have. You know, he put that new tailor-made putter in the bag uh, just before the British Open because it was a little heavier and it's a little better on slower greens. He stuck with it. He's putted good with it certain weeks. 
but I thought this week he looked more frustrated than I've seen him with the putter in a long time. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw the old trusty uh, putter back in the bag come Friday. I mean, that would be an interesting storyline. Is you know, even even us hacks have extra clubs that are favorites that work on certain courses or certain conditions. The Tiger Woods reference point for what club to use in, in the back backlog of, of clubs from the past would be remarkable, wouldn't it? Yeah, and if you think about it, you know, he's been one of the more stubborn guys in terms of the technology world. Like, you know, Tiger, you know, I can think of about four putters in his entire professional career, maybe five that he's used in competition, uh, about four or five drivers over the years in competition, uh, about three to four uh, sets of irons. Um, but you can you can track it and, and you can see the changes and the changes in technology. But he's been one of the more stubborn ones to switch over the years. Whereas, you know, a guy like Sergio Garcia, I remember talking to the guys at TaylorMade, and they would tell me that when Sergio was with TaylorMade, he was with them for, for his entire career up until this year. Um, they would say to me, a guy like Sergio, we'd show up on a Tuesday with a brand new set of clubs. He'd hit them on the range and go, great. And he'd take the old ones out, throw them to the side, put the new ones in. So, you know, some guys are just like, they don't care. They'll hit anything. They're all up for, to try something new. And if, and if the engineers at, at TaylorMade or Callaway or Titleist say, this stuff's better, this is our new stuff and it's better, bam, it goes into play. Where other guys, no, no, no. You know, they're going to grind uh, over it for months and months and months at a time until they are 1,000% certain that they're moving to something better. And that Tiger was that guy always throughout his career. Well, you'll remember several years ago in Snedeker when the RBC Canadian Open and we talked with him, he had an old putter in the bag that day, and certainly it paid off. Totally, totally. And one of my favorite stories is uh, Jim Furyk uh, going across the road and, and you know pulling a putter out of uh, out of an old bin at like a, at a used golf store. It was like a thirty dollar <laughs> putter. And, you know, that's a putter he ended up eventually you know shooting fifty eight with a couple months later. So you know what I mean, like. It's a fickle game. It's bizarre. Sometimes you can't make sense of it. You're talking to a guy who owns about 70 putters and none of the bloody work. So uh, who knows, Jim? But, yeah, anyway, just something to keep your eye on on Friday when you tune into the uh, uh, Dell Technologies Championship at TPC Boston, which will be the last uh, time we ever play this event because next year we're going from four playoff events to three playoff events, and this is the one that is going to be the odd man out. Uh, and Tiger has won on this golf course before TPC Boston. He's comfortable out there. Just something to keep your eye on to see if at some point this week there's a putter change. Uh, what do you th- what's the player reaction to that dropping the tournament? I mean, that's a significant amount of cash. It is, but I think, you know, over the years, how many times have we seen these guys skip playoff events? Rory McIlroy, for instance, uh, skipped one already, which I've been ripping on him for because, you know, I just – I. I just don't see how, you know, now he's decided it's time to work on his wedge play. You know, he played four majors this year, not being able to hit a green from 100 yards, and now we're going to start working on our wedges and skip a playoff event. I think it was a bit of a cop-out. I think he just didn't want to play, you know, four playoff events in a row and then the Ryder Cup, so he chose to take a week off. Um, you know, we've seen it time and time again from the big players over the years, skip, skipping one playoff event and not playing all four. Certain years, they gave the players a week off in the middle. You'll recall that. They used to, you know, in a couple seasons, they played two playoff events, take a week off, and then come back and play another two. Well, you know, the momentum of the playoffs and fan interest would suffer because of that. So 
I think, you know, I think what they need to do is say, okay, we're going to three guys, and here are the three playoff events, but if you skip one, there's a monster penalty. I think if you skip a playoff event, now that they've cut it back to three, I think you need to put such a big penalty in place that if you skip one, you basically cripple yourself for the FedEx Cup and you have no chance of winning. I think that's that's the give and take I think that needs to happen now. You know, the PGA Tour has buckled. They've given the players three in a row. Uh, but now you should be expected to play all of them. Mark, thanks for your time. Always great to reconnect. Thank you. Thanks, James. Take care. Mark Zucchino, host of Golf Talk Canada and PGA Tour Radio. He was at the Northern Trust in the weekend. will be in Boston on Friday. And the Twitter account at Zman TSN GTC. Wouldn't that be a fascinating book to be able to sit down with the best golfers and ask them about those fringe clubs, those go-to clubs, the old clubs that technology may have replaced but they go back to? I mean, I think the collection that some of those guys... I mean, it's got to be like a guitarist, right? I mean, certain song, you used a guitar because it sounded a certain way. You didn't need it again, but it's up on the wall. I mean, some of the great rock stars of all time have walls of guitars. So I'd have to say that some of the best golfers of all time would have this, like, in an ordinate storage facility full of old clubs that, that they have won with in the past and would revisit if they struggle. That would be an interesting conversation with with the best golfers at least i think so coming up next weekend yes guy no guy oh no this is toronto today tsn 1050 tsn1050.ca yes guy no guy ladies and gentlemen boys and girls drivers and passengers time now for the extremely rare weekend edition of yes guy no guy producer joe narsa is here to guide us through go ahead sir all right, so first yes guy, no guy. Will Tiger Woods win a FedEx Cup playoff event? I'm going to say no guy. Tune in next year for the best of Tiger Woods. That's what I would say. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think he's going to get tired, but next year he has the taste. He knows what to do, and uh, he's going to have to use mind over matter. The body is not as good as it was, obviously, but he knows what to do. Do you think we're focusing too much on the driver, considering he's never been the greatest driver of the golf ball? Well, I just think it's probably because of his age, it's li- the, the problem is uh, a little more difficult to deal with now. But um, he has to sort of learn how to play within himself, understanding his own limitations, which he would never have done before. Uh, consider him to be like um, uh, any aging great athlete. At some point, uh, because you know what to do, you don't waste your time causing yourself trouble. So if he could keep the ball in play, then that's one less thing he has to worry about. And uh, I just think that he's, you know, you forget how smart the guy was as a golfer, what he saw as a golfer that nobody else saw because of his ability. I I wouldn't count him out. Okay, my second one, yes guy, no guy, is Brooke Henderson already the best golfer Canada has had? Oh, that's a has had. You're talking in the history of the game. Yes. Either side. No, no guy. Uh, you know, Mike Weir won the Masters. I think that's the, that's the pinnacle. That's the uh, the top of the mountain. But she, will, I, I have total confidence, she will surpass that. She will be not now, not today, but will be. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. Is, so is her um, reaching the record of most wins as a Canadian and professional tour enough, or does she need to win a couple multiple majors? Well, I mean, the Masters is uh, sort of in its own category, so. Boy, that's a tough one. You put me on the spot there. I, I think she's just about there, but not quite. I, just because we know that at the age of 20, I mean, you could sort of guess where this goes. Potential for 
just greatness here. I mean, I think she's already great, but but it continues on for years, and I'd be interested to track, uh, not so much on the uh, the money side in terms of uh, TV ratings and things like that, but the influence, because I firmly believe that where we are as a society, you don't look at categories anymore. Brooke Henderson is a great Canadian athlete, and, and we just leave it at that. And, and so whether you're male or female and you're of a certain age group, you're going to be attracted to watch her play, and it's going to influence your life in terms of what you pursue. So I, I think she might have um, a, a greater effect that way than anybody's ever had in golf. That's, that's an interesting sort of track to, to follow over the next two to three years. And then this is just a little off topic, just popped into my head. Do you think we would ever see a women's masters at Augusta in our lifetime? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Oh, I, in our lifetime? Yeah, because I or, or should I say in your lifetime? I think our lifetime. You think we're going to last the same amount of years? Well, I think not there, good for I you. I think we'll overlap for a little. <laughs> I I always believe in yes. I yeah. I always believe in anything can happen. And I I don't want to base it on on past prejudices because I think that's ridiculous. I've I've never understood that that train of thought. Uh, to me, is athletic competition should be pure, and and it should. I mean, it's discrimination and prejudice is ridiculous at any level of life. But in athletics, uh, and I don't want to say it makes even less sense because that's insulting. But it, but in athletics, it's it's clear that the best athlete should win. Okay, well I hope you're right because I would love to see that. Um, Yes guy, no guy. Will Kendris Morales continue his franchise record streak and homer in his eighth straight game? Oh, absolutely, guys. In Baltimore. I mean, this is served up. This is a buffet line. Uh, your question should be, would it be eight straight or, or ten? Well, the last time we did this with Vladdy Jr., he did homer like an hour and a half later. So it looks like you've given uh, the bat a little bit of good luck. Yeah. And then the last one, and this is probably going to be Whoa. the toughest one. Last week at 10 minutes. What do you mean the last one? Well, I could come up with a bunch more. Conversation-wise, I could keep going. Wow. I mean, a good producer knows the length of a segment. Yeah, I know, I know. That's but I, I feel like six yes guy, no guys is too many yes guy, no guys. Well, it, six isn't too many if you're humming and hawing for the next five minutes. So that's how I would look at it, Joe. I, I mean, trust I just, you as a pro. I, mean, you, I know you, you can are, take 20-minute segments by yourself. You, You've done it. You are the producer. I mean, it can be done. The question is, how engaging would it be? I a mean, producer's you, you only to, as good as their talent, like, Jim. You have, to be, you have to be concerned about the quality. Certainly the fill could happen. But if I'm driving around, I don't want to listen to Phil. Whoever he may be. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. All right. Will Tulo and Donaldson play on the same infield for the Blue Jays again? Uh, no, guy. I don't. Wow, that's that's the Bermuda Triangle, isn't it? No, I don't see Donaldson coming back. It's, no, sorry, guy. It's 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 kind of a. You know, as I said to Scott Mitchell, when you look at it, um, if we go back to camp with the dead arm and the soft sell on that, I just come on. It's a dead arm. It's a major asset. There should have been major concern about this. Is it? How come at this point there's been no conversation, no question mark on the Blue Jays uh, medical staff? Because hasn't this been the same conversation that we've had about the Blue Jays with good players for about four, five, six years? Like, in all honesty, I think when you look back over over the slide, and it, you, you know, it's easy to point fingers, but I think there's a couple things stick to the wall: health of the pitching staff, general health of the of the roster. Having said that, when you are struggling, uh, when you're down and out. Uh, those things go with it. You suddenly have a lot of injury problems. The, the winning teams don't have injury problems, and I don't know what the science is or if there is any science to that. But but I think when your team is struggling, there's a host of things that happen, and, I, and you know it's easy to blame. But I don't know exactly what the real answer is to that. But you know you go back to uh, 
you know, the, the suitcase finger problem with Sanchez. I mean, seriously, really. That's what happens, though, when you struggle, right? Yeah, but, I mean, we look back at um, Adam Lynn, for example, called out the Blue Jays' um, medical staff, and then I think his mom outed him right. by saying he was hurt. And then there's been conversations around the Blue Jays messing up with the blister, and then also they've had some interesting decisions on Tulo having bone spurs but not having surgery until the be- almost the beginning of spring training when they already knew he had bone spurs. It almost seems like they're missing the mark, and this management group specifically brought in a new type of training system and a new type of health and fitness program to make sure to be on top of these things and if anything they've been kind of behind the ball i don't disagree with that i think you know if you're in charge you'd like to do an audit and all that stuff and and figure out man games lost and and things like that and and money that had to be you know put on the shelf because of uh, injury replacement and and all of that i mean there's hard numbers to that having said that uh, you know i don't know if if you come up with the right answer, you could say, well, it's not acceptable. But as I said before, when you're winning, some of that stuff doesn't happen. Uh, you'd have to do an audit. Did I answer that? Yeah, I agree. All right. Yes guy, no guy. Will Deron Carter fit in with the Toronto Argonauts considering his head coach? Um, I'm going to say yes guy. I think back to uh, when you had a, a teacher. It could have been at Centennial or it could have been elsewhere where there was no negotiation as to what you were supposed to do. Doesn't the human race work well when, when you're when you're in a non-negotiable situation? I mean, I would have to understand that or believe that, that Mr. Tressman would walk up to Mr. Carter and say, here's what we want you to do. Just do this. Nothing more, nothing less. Do this. And here's how you do it. And here's how we're going to make that successful for you. That seems like a non-negotiable situation. And this this signing, um, as a guy who covers the Ticats, this is a big signing in terms of when it happens and how it can affect the next two games, which are crucial. As I said earlier when we were talking with Perry Lefko, the Argos and Ticats have three games. Two of them happen within a week. The winner of that three-game series will go on to bigger and better things. The loser might survive, but it's a little unlikely at this point. This is how big this signing is. And remember, this we haven't talked about. This happens on the, uh, I guess, after the, the game that uh, the Tiger Cats lost Chris Williams, one of the receivers, with an Achilles problem. So it's it's almost like a double hit. The Argos got a big receiver who is very athletic, and, and if he if he just plays football, can be really good. And the Ticats lose uh, a, an international receiver that's going to affect what they're able to do. So it's a, it, it has a double double implications here, going into back-to-back games. This is a big move. And when we spoke to Glenn Suter last week, he was saying that this kind of mirrors Randy Moss going to the Patriots, where you have a head coach that is no-nonsense and a wide receiver that has been questioned for his, you know, his attitude and his personality, but has a significant amount of skill. And he said this could be a perfect match and a perfect fit for a guy like Deron Carter because... He won't have the ability of kind of coming out of going into his comfort zone, which usually is a negative for him, and just play football. And Bethel Thompson has proven to be able to control his field and be able to throw the ball to his receivers. And this guy now has an opportunity to just be a talent instead of worrying about trying to be his personality. The most important, hello, the most important word you said there was fit. Uh, I always come to the conclusion that everybody's capable all the people in the CFL are CFL players. All the NHL players are of NHL caliber. The question is, what situation are you going to put them in? What is the fit? If the fit is correct, suddenly the player becomes better. If the fit is not correct, 
it looks bad, and, and then people zero in on, well, he's no longer good enough. He's good enough. It's just not in the right situation. So if this is the right situation, this is a massive move by the Argonauts. That's where I stand on that. Yes, guy. And then my last yes, guy, no guy. This is better be a long one. Will Toronto <laughs> have two Eastern Conference champions this year? Oh, really, guy? Well, okay, so you're talking about the, in order to be Eastern Conference champion, you're talking about the Leafs getting into the Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. Is that and, what you're saying? Yeah, and the Raptors. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to say no, guy. I, I think one of the two is capable. I don't know which one at this point, but I think you're safe to say one of the two would get there and uh, the other one won't. Boy, that's a really intriguing question. Because yes. it's almost like there's more there's more of an opportunity for an NHL team to advance because of the parity and because of the ability for the league to have balanced itself out. And kind of almost anything can happen seemingly in the NHL, whereas in the NBA, you almost feel locked in to a specific circumstance. But Well, that's, that was while LeBron was in the East. So really what you're telling me is is that you don't think with one of the best or one of the top five players in the league in Leonard that the Raptors can't get through Boston. I believe it. I just feel like with the NBA, it almost seems as if somebody has written out the season, and before that, you know oh, where it goes. Is that be- a Toronto complex? No, I don't think so. I think it's in you know other twenty-seven teams in the NBA complex because realistically, it's the same four or five teams every season that end up in the exact same position we knew starting from October. But just on paper, I mean, and this is long before anything is done with either roster, just on paper, wouldn't it seem easier for the Raptors to get into the NBA final than the Leafs to get into the Stanley Cup final, knowing that there's, uh, I guess, a developing story on the Leafs' blue line and knowing that Tampa's in front and knowing that Washington is a defending Stanley Cup champion and throw a couple of other teams in there that Boston that could get in the way? Yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, on paper, the Raptors have hands down the best chance to get to the, to the finals in the NBA. But you're saying both could happen. And that's because mm. last year, I mean, if you had started the season, I told you the Washington Capitals were going to win the Stanley Cup. You would say, two years too late, guy. Like, those guys should have already been there, and now this is a weaker roster. But they were able to pull that off because of the parity in the league. And things constantly rotate and change in the NHL, whereas in the NBA, as much as you try and change the storyline, the script stays the same. I think I would have said either no guy or oh really guy. Sorry guy. No, I wouldn't have said sorry guy. <laughs> wow, this is like when I come in here, it's like talking to myself. Everybody's with the guy. Hey well, guy, I, how are you guy? Whatever guy. What's uh, what's the term of phrase? Um, impression is the greatest form of flattery. But really nobody's doing the impression properly, so I'm not very flattered. Well, I have a mustache <laughs> attached to my beard, so I'm like 60% of the way there. Oh, I had sort of a beard this morning, but I took it off. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to come in here and have the beard question. Anyway, I, I misled you earlier. Scotty MacArthur show will be hosted by Gareth Wheeler. I saw Wheeler earlier, like about five minutes ago. Looks in great, great health, and just happy to go. He's rambunctious, which is dangerous for you. Oh, that means we're done. Okay. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Gareth Wheeler with the Scotty MacArthur Show is next. Yes guy, no guy to everybody. Uh, you've been listening to Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.